This is the Lax Nerds Podcast with Kevin from Lax the Planet and Neil from Cardinal Lacrosse, where we talk all things lacrosse, the games, the gear, the community, the lifestyle. Hey, how's it going, guys? Welcome to the Lax Nerds Podcast. I'm Neil Vera or Cardinal Lacrosse on Instagram. And I'm Kevin Proctor, Proctor Pack on Instagram. This week we have Ryan Smalls on. It's a pretty long interview with lots of information. So Kevin and I decided that this week we're not going to do all the regular stuff that we do. No best thing. We're not going to talk about uh, other lacrosse. We'll get back into that next week. We decided that we wanted to just let this interview kind of stand on its own. Ryan has a lot of great information, especially for some younger players out who are looking to get better, maybe even some older players who are looking to improve their shot. So without further ado, we'll get right into the interview. This week we're joined by uh, Ryan Small. Ryan, how's it going? Good. How's it going? <laughs> we're, we're good. Good. Glad to have you on. Thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Thanks for having me. <laughs> good to be here. So we just kind of wanted to get into like, um, you know, Give us maybe some background on you, like where, how you started playing and where you started playing. Yeah, um, I, um, I'm from Hanover, New Hampshire, which uh, a lot of people don't know. Uh, so that's basically Dartmouth College. And um, so I'm a Northeast guy. I currently live down in Austin, Texas. And um, I think I was, in, I was either in fifth or sixth grade when I started playing. And it, it all started just, um, I had a buddy who was playing. Of course, I was playing baseball. Uh, my story is not terribly unique, you know, and I had a buddy playing lacrosse and that looked a lot more exciting. <laughs> and, um, you know, eventually I convinced my father to let me play and I, I got hooked pretty quickly. Uh, it didn't take long. I, I have a very addictive personality. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> when, when I, if I fall in love with something, uh, I, I can never really let it go. And so once I started playing lacrosse, um, I was pretty much addicted immediately and, uh, you know, then, so, okay, so I play rec ball, um, was always a little guy and eventually, uh, got to high school and finally grew a little bit only to about five, eight. And, um, <laughs> so it's not much. We but... know that pain. Yep. Yep. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so I'm still five, eight and, um, and, uh, luckily I, luckily I was a high school player back in late, late nineties, early two thousands, because, um, if I were a high school player now, there's no way I would have been recruited as an eighth grader or a freshman. And so, uh, back then everything was a lot later. And so, uh, strength wise and maturity wise, all that came to a head around my junior year of high school which was lucky for me and um i was fortunate enough to get recruited by dave cuddle at loyola so i went to hanover high school where really no one cared about lacrosse uh we were a horrible high school team (laughs) the whole nine and um and uh, we had some talent but uh not enough Mm -hmm. and um and so i went to 205 and that's where i you know met all the recruits and everything eventually chose to go to loyola to play for dave cuddle Mm-hmm. and um, absolutely loved playing for him. I think he's one of the best in the game, and um, eventually transferred to Maryland uh, due to some problems at Loyola, and I followed Dave Cottle over at Maryland. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of – I know that's a kind of a boring story, but, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, my, my life was pretty boring. All I did was ever 
all I ever did was play lacrosse and, and train. So, um, you know, that, that was my life through high school. And then obviously other opportunities came about in college and things like that. So, yeah. So, so you said that your, your high school wasn't very good at lacrosse, yep. right? So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you did to, to get noticed on a bad team, because I, I know that that's, that's probably a situation for a lot of kids that are listening. Um, the, the, the team I coached had an awful season. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of, but a lot of those kids had aspirations of playing in college and, and how wondering maybe what kind of advice you have on, on getting noticed even on a bad team. Yeah. Um, well, I, I have to say nowadays it's a lot easier. Uh, it, it's, you know, I, I, so I live a good example is I live, I live down in Texas and there's a, I live in Austin and there's a lot of great players in this area. And there's a lot of great players of course, in Dallas. And, um, you know, this is a place that is not known for lacrosse, but is quickly becoming, if not known, there's a lot of great players coming out of here. But right. the reason why I, um, go, I, I mentioned Texas is because I run to a lot of families who ask me the exact same question. Mm-hmm. We're from Texas, yada, 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 you know, or, or I'm from, you know, Alabama and, <laughs> and really there's no excuse anymore. Yeah. Uh, you have YouTube, there's highlight videos. There's more recruiting tournaments than you could ever imagine. Uh, versus when I was playing, um, I still didn't view it as an excuse. I didn't come from a lacrosse hotbed in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and not New Hampshire was not only not a lacrosse hotbed, but we were one of the worst high school teams in one of the worst states. And um, <laughs> I was still heavily recruited out of high school. And what I did was... Um, you know, it, when it comes to exposure, back then it was top 205, uh, which was run by Dave Cottle and Phil Tierney and uh, Tony Seaman. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of really, it, that that was, for the most part, my primary shot um, at, at getting noticed. Uh, we, you, we went, uh, I went after my sophomore year, so going into my junior season, and then after my junior year, going into my senior season. And, uh, of course, that bred more opportunity. I, um... I uh, got to know uh, Johnny Christmas, and so his his brother, I believe it was, we, they were coaching the Penn Stars, mm-hmm. uh, which is no longer a team. I think they've uh, converted into or partnered with the Dukes now, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they invited me to play for the Penn Stars over the summer, uh, I believe, of my going into my senior year. And so obviously getting to play with John Christmas and those guys, helped me uh, quite a bit because I got to go to Champ Camp, which that was the only team event, I believe, at the time. Uh, But really, at that point, I was already being recruited. So it's it's to me, you know, when you when you watch kids these days, they're all obsessed with what club team they play for and how many tournaments they can go to before getting better. Um, It's at the end of the day, if you're not good, it doesn't matter where you go. Right. You know, you know, you, you can go to every recruiting tournament in the world. If you're not any good, it doesn't matter. And <laughs> the problem with recruiting tournaments, the way I see it, is they're display tournaments. Mm-hmm. They're there to, to display a skill set, but you're not there necessarily getting better. Now, sure, you're getting better because you're playing against better competition, yada, 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 all that stuff. But really, at the end of the day, training is what gets you better. And so I spent all my time training. I spent all my time, you know, breaking into the Dartmouth weight room. I spent all my time on the <laughs> wall, 
you know, I mean, and then I had my one or two opportunities to display what I had and I took advantage of those. Um, and not to say that that's been lost cause it's definitely not lost. I mean, the, the level of the game has gone up. Uh, there's a lot better athletes playing. Kids are coming from all over the country playing for the top teams in the program. Um, and now there's more opportunity to expose yourself like YouTube. There's none of that. I, I don't right. think I ever sent a highlight video to any coach. Uh, I'm certain I didn't. And, um, you know, I got the notoriety. I played in the North South game, which is now the Under Armour game. And, you know, this was, I was from up in the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's now there's more than ample opportunity. And I have a feeling some people, probably most, think that that's how you're going to get recruited. And I don't believe that at all. I think if you're training your ass off and you're good enough, um, you're going to you're going to see the opportunity come. Sure, you need to get exposure. Uh, but I think first and foremost is training and being obsessed and watching a lot of lacrosse. I mean, I, I you know, on those old VHS tapes, <laughs> I recorded games and that was my entertainment. I didn't go home and play video games. I didn't, um, you know, really watch any TV. I just watched those VHS tapes of Casey Powell and Michael Watts and all those guys. And that was my entertainment. But, you know, uh, as a side note, that entertainment actually ended up being part of my training because I watched how they did things. Yeah. And I was obsessed. And I think that I don't think that's necessarily lost. But I watched the because the only thing you could watch on TV at the time was the final four. Mm -hmm. And right. I watched the same games every single day <laughs> over and over and over. And that type of obsession um, I think is what can get you recruited, regardless if you're from, I don't know, Oklahoma, Alabama, whatever non-hotbed, um, all the exposure opportunities are there. Yeah. Now it's just a matter of developing yourself as an athlete or as a skilled player. It is, it is funny to me, though, because I, I think that you're right that, uh, that in a way that has been lost, because even though we have even more access to more lacrosse, you know, I – my kid, the kids I was coaching this year, I, I asked them how many kids, how many of you guys even watch lacrosse? And most of them, uh, in fact, almost all of them said, no, like they don't watch it. And I was like, yeah. how, how do you play and expect to get better? And you, you don't watch it. You don't watch guys at, at a higher level even play. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's nuts. I mean, it's, it's you know, cliche though, though it may sound it's, it, it's, you know, you're being a student of the game, but it's not just like that. It, it's the all encompassing obsession. If mm -hmm. you come from, you know, a non-traditional place, all right, let's say you do come from like a Baltimore, Maryland or upstate New York or Long Island or something like that. Sure, you have a slight advantage because you're around it, you see what high level across is all the time. Mm -hmm. But if you don't come from those er areas and you're not living and breathing it on you know, on a on a relatively high level cuz especially if you want to play division 1 lacrosse, I don't know what the percentage is right now. But it's extremely low. Yeah. Um, right. And, and, and you have to absolutely live and breathe it if you're coming from an area that doesn't have good lacrosse players because you're not surrounded by it every day. Right. And um, and that means, you know, not hanging out with your buddies as much. That means going home and watching how these guys do this. You know, every little minute detail. You know, I used to rewind Michael Watson split dodge like I'd spend an hour 
just rewinding the exact same move back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, and just seeing every little movement, every little movement pattern that he did and how he did it. And I go out and I try to emulate it. Mm-hmm. And another thing I actually, I really advise is, is pick someone within your realm. And what I mean by that is I was no Casey Powell, right? right? Um, <laughs> Casey Powell is, I think six foot one inches runs a four five forty. You know, just a ridiculous athlete anyway, regardless of the fact that he's got unbelievable skill sets, right? But that was not me. I'm mm-hmm. five foot eight. I was five foot eight, 170 pounds. So for me, the nearest guy to that was Michael Watson. And I didn't run a four five forty, and neither did Watson. I ran like a four seven or a four eight, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I found a guy that I really enjoyed watching play the game who was around like my height, weight, you know. Uh, speed, things like that. And I tried emulating him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that, you know, people, I grew up. So when I was in college, I was playing summer ball with Mike Powell. Right. That kid. Wow. That kid was obscene. Yeah. By, by far the best field player ever to play our sport. Um, and, but when I was playing with him, I knew I could not run a four, three forty or, you know, it, his level was so extreme, not just because he had unbelievable skills, because, but the speed he played at was so astronomical that you know, I wasn't going to be playing at that speed. But it doesn't mean you can't be as good as someone who ha- might have those tangibles. It just means you do it in a different way. Right. And um, for me, the guy I emulated was uh, was Watson. He was that type. He was my body type, the whole nine. And so that's who I like to follow. And so if you're coming from an area, you know, it doesn't even matter if you're coming from a certain area, but if you're looking to play at a higher level, um, I, I recommend like kind of picking someone who kind of looks, acts and like kind of feels a little bit like you, you know? Right. Yeah. Like Neil, Neil emulates Kyle Harrison. That's oh, yeah. very similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're pretty identical. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> no, it, it, it's actually, uh, it's funny that you say that. Cause that's something that, uh, George and I basically kind of coached, not really coached, but we used to tell that to people all the time um, when we were trying to get new guys into it is to like, yeah, it's cool to look up to, to the big, um, you know, the big names, the the Powells and, you know, nowadays the Lyle Thompson's and stuff. And th- there's a value in that and seeing what they can do and, and knowing that, that there aren't really limits on what you can and can't do. It's all about, you know, figuring out how you can do it, but that there's a, a much higher value in finding someone who, who plays the game the way that you do or can play sort of like what you were saying um, and trying to emulate what they do. Um, and I, I don't think that that's a, a lesson that we talk about enough. Um, so yeah. I, I like that answer a lot. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it's, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, it's just under just knowing yourself. Right. You know, quite simply. I mean, I can't freaking sing. You know? <laughs> right. So I don't try to sing. Right. You know, um, it, and, and again, it, like but like you said, it doesn't mean that just because someone's faster, they're better. That is. The furthest thing from the truth. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just understanding, right. you know, Hey, where am I in this ecosystem? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've learned now, like as I've still played, luckily that I, uh, um, that's kind of know my role, like on my master's team, <laughs> like n- know that like, I'm not the best Dodger, but I could, you know, feed very accurately right on point. And so that's my role. That's what I am. Like primary right. feeder, 
and you know shooter if need to be but mostly a feeder like players once you know your role then you can focus on that skill yeah oh yeah i'm I'm much more about like kind of like be a master of one you know mm-hmm. instead of a jack of all i'm i that's kind of where i like to sit <laughs> so know. so you went to uh loyola and then maryland and then how did you get into uh or how did how did you come up with DYG and, and and how did that all start? Yeah, so um, I guess kind of I guess it kind of goes to the know yourself stuff. Mm-hmm. I um, so obviously in high school you can score goals, um, right. and if you're if you're a good player, but you do so with very little um, auditing. And what I mean by that is, um, you, you know, goalies at the high school level, depending on where you are just they're just not as good obviously and so you know i thought i could score goals and i could at the high school level but when i when i my first couple weeks at loyola i was just atrocious at shooting the ball i mean bad beyond bad and so i was a fast kid i was a quick kid um i could feed the ball very well but i learned pretty quickly i couldn't shoot to save my life and so (laughs) you know i kind of thought like that was it like i'm a dodger and a feeder and that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. And um, Cottle, who's basically known as, or at least the way I viewed him, was the Bobby Knight of lacrosse. I was absolutely terrified of the guy. <laughs> and, and, um, but in a good way. And, and I loved it. I, that's what I needed. I need to get, you know, whooped around a little bit to actually change and adapt and become better. And so we started, um, when, when individuals started, which is like, I think you can only have like three guys out there at a time with the coach during kind of the off season ish. Um, he would walk out without a bucket of balls and he would force me to do a drill called SWAT to fly, where you shoot overhand without a ball and he critiques your mechanics as you can afford. And, um, I became obsessed with this. I thought it was the best stuff I'd ever, um, you know, to spare you the details. I thought it was the best stuff I'd ever done. And I went, went quickly from being one of our worst shooters to being one of our best uh, shooters. And I learned, pretty quickly that no matter how bad you are at shooting, you can, if you understand the mechanics and you understand human movement, you can turn someone into a good shooter. It's going to be hard and it's going to take a lot of time, but it can be done if, you know, the, the, the person's disciplined enough. And so, um, you know, this, that kind of crept into my mind. And after college, I did a few random things and then I decided to come up with uh, uh, DYG. And really it was just my, one of my best friends, Brian Carolunas, um, who's currently playing for Ohio right now. And we were just doing attack deep camps. And it wasn't anything extremely unique. I, I just wanted to start my own lacrosse company. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then as time went on, I started to come up with these products. So uh, let me backtrack. With Coddle, we used to do this drill called um, the phone booth drill, where you shoot over one cage into another. Right. And the whole point of that drill is to get your hands up and away from your body and to get you shooting overhand properly. That, like I said, that was a game changer for me. That drill just completely changed my game and opened up dodging lanes. And so I totally believe that anyone could t- learn how to become a shooter. And so as I'm training kids individually or we're doing these camps, I start to, I start to think about that drill. And, uh, and the problem with shooting over goal is it's only one height. So if you're, if you're like six feet tall... Mm-hmm. Shooting over that goal does absolutely nothing for you because it doesn't force you to get your hands away from your body because you can get it over the goal without extending your arms. So it doesn't help them. 
And if you're too short, you know, your, your, your arm's way too high in order to shoot over that goal. So it doesn't really help them. You have to be a certain height in order to shoot over a goal and have it actually benefit you the way you want. And right. if you crush your stick over the crossbar or something like that, you know, you can injure a shoulder, right? So you see kids or athletes start to pull up. And you never want anyone, when they're performing any drill, to pull up and be reserved. You want them to be going full out when they're doing the drill, right? And so the first thing I came up with was, was is the throttle. I was like, all right, I want something that's adjustable by height, but that breaks away if you hit what would be the crossbar or that goal. And um, so, I came, so I came up with that product. Um, it, it, was, it was an instant success. And, um, with college coaches in particular, and, um, it's really great because you can adjust the height. Kids don't pull up with their shooting stroke because if they happen to hit what would be a crossbar, it breaks away. So there's no fear of breaking your stick or injuring your shoulder or anything like that. And, um, and, and, it, and really you can use it with teams and have an adjustable height, you know, or a general height, should I say that fits, you know, a general height. So right. when we do when we do these shooting camps, for example, people are, you know, concerned like, okay, well, we, we, we've got, you know, five seniors in high school and, a, and, you know, maybe like 27th and 8th graders. How is this going to work? We don't break up the kids by age. We don't break them up by skill level. We break them up by height because the way you shoot, it should be the same across the board. Um, people talk about advanced training. Well, there's really no such thing as advanced training. There's just human movement. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the problem I see the most is opinions come into play. All right. So I think you should be shooting the ball like this, or I think you should be passing the ball like this. Well, the way humans are designed to move, there's no opinion about it. Humans are designed to move at 90 degree angles and straight lines. That's just an anatomical fact and or a biomechanical fact, right? And uh, that's where humans like to be. And so if you're throwing a football or a baseball or shooting with a lacrosse ball, you should, if you're shooting an overhand shot, you should be at 90 degrees at the armpit. If you're talking about the back arm, the top arm, if you're shooting righty with your right arm at the armpit and the elbow joint, that is where you're going to get the most uh, velocity for an overhand shot. That's where you're going to get the most accuracy and the most control. And so when we're training these athletes, we break it up by height because we want throttle in the right position in the right place for that athlete. And regardless of if they're in fifth grade or if they're a senior in college, the way you train a shot should not change. Right. It should not change. The only thing that changes is the volume and the intensity at which that drill is, you know, um, is exercised. But the way you actually teach someone to do something should not change at all. And I think that's what, that's what, People tend to get confused with. They they feel like you know okay now the kid's getting better. We need to elevate the level of his training. Well, to me that just means elevating the intensity, right? But not how you're doing. You don't want to train a kid to, train a kid to shoot one way when they're young versus a different way when they're older. Mm-hmm. Right? And so um, that's when I you know when as we're coming up with these products, I I got the bug to start the camps again because that's where I really like to spend my time. I love I love designing products and I love doing all that stuff and we have a few other cool products that um come into play but the throttle really is the uh, the flagship product I think and right. um and that's what we use the most you know we have the Maxit which measures shot speed which is cool 
it's great feedback. You can see if your training is, um, is, is helping, I guess, by seeing the velocity of your shot. But really at the end of the day, it's not a training product. It's, it's, um, it's just a measurement tool. And, um, so that's, that's how I got back into the shooting academy. I was like, well, you know, camps are kind of going by the wayside. I think we should be running these clinics called, you know, these shooting specific clinics because no one does just that. And that's why I spent all my energy and that's why I put all my focus into because as a player, um, <laughs> that's what I sucked at the most. <laughs> and, and so, uh, that's where I spend a lot of my time. I've heard that your camps are like highly intense, like, like the first, like half of it, they don't touch a ball really even it's mostly like just mechanics. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. that's awesome. My, my, our buddy Lou down there in Florida. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. telling me like how, like, like you came down and he was like, it was, he said he had an eight year old that was pretty bad when he first got there. And by the end, like he had it down pat, like had it, had the mm-hmm. shooting form good. And, you know, he said it was, a lot had to do with the throttle and a lot just, you know, just re- repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, most of our camps or clinics, you know, the first hour, hour and a half, you know, I, I, I to be frank, I let the kids know that's going to kind of suck. Um, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> Because the problem I see is we're, we're not really interested in, um, you know, giving out, you know, all this free stuff and doing water balloon fights. And we're, we're intense. There's no question about it. Now we're not mean, obviously. But, you know, we want if we're if we're going to have a product and we're going to and we're going to do something, we want to do it to the best of our ability. And um, and, you know, if you're going to spend money with us, I want every dollar to count. So, if you know, you're going there to learn a skill and most, a vast majority, 99.99% of athletes I see do not know how to shoot overhand. Is overhand shooting the only way to shoot? Absolutely not. But it's, it's just, they're just, there's very few who know how to shoot overhand properly. And so we spend ample amounts of time um, swatting the fly and correcting the mechanics because the, you know, the delivery is everything. And if, if you're, if kids are love watching the ball versus focusing on their mechanics, do you guys play golf? Yeah. I, I okay, don't. So, okay. <laughs> so have you ever taken a golf lesson? Uh, no, no. Okay. So but you probably know this. One of the first things they teach you in golf when you're, when you're hitting off the tee, for example, is to keep your eye on the ball, even after you've hit it, right. To keep your eyes down and yeah. swing through Mm-hmm. Right. And and they tell you probably the same thing on baseball when you're batting, probably. Right. And the reason why is because once you hit the ball, the ball's in flight. You're not going to influence it with your eyes. Right. right. The ball's gone. It, it's gone. Right. And so it's going to do what it's going to do. And so for us, it's the same thing with lacrosse. Like kids, when they're shooting balls, are obsessed with the outcome. The outcome will be there if the mechanics are clean, if you're shooting properly. But if you're constantly focused on the ball and not your mechanics, you know, the, the intangible, the little things, the feelings of the mechanics, understanding how it feels to shoot correctly versus incorrectly, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing. And so we spend a ton of time not shooting a ball, but just going through the shooting stroke to get these athletes to a point where they understand, you know, what it feels like to shoot properly. And usually our motto is if you're comfortable, you're wrong. Right. If mm-hmm. you're shooting something, if, if, if your shooting mechanics are poor, 
and you're comfortable during our camp, you're absolutely wrong. And so you need to learn to love and live in the world of discomfort. And that's what we do. And, and we hammer it out and we get a vast majority of them to a point where they're shooting overhand properly and then we move on to shooting with a ball. And we, we, we crawl up to it. We do it from a standstill. And then we get into giddy-ups. And then we get into shooting on the run and all these other things that you want, right? And, and so, yeah, Lou's exactly right. Um, it, it, the first bit of it is, is tough. But then, you know, we go right into it. And then we start shooting balls and you see kids just, shooting overhand and they end up falling in love with it because they see that they actually have control. They've obtained control over their shot and um, they can actually pick where they want to shoot. And to see someone obtain control is awesome because, you know, it's not that sidearm shooting is bad. It's not. I love sidearm shots. I love underhand shots. I love three quarter arm shots. I think they're all amazing. And coaches, don't care how you shoot. For the most part, if you're shooting 80%, they're going to let you shoot that way probably, right? Mm-hmm. The problem the problem is um, it's that you shoot or most kids tend to shoot in a way where they don't have control and they don't have choice. I want you to be able to shoot overhand and sidearm and three-quarter arm shot based on the scenario in front of you. Some require a sidearm shot. Some require a overhand shot and the power of choice is everything. But if you can only shoot one way, you're screwed because you can only shoot one way. And so you better get yourself in a position to shoot that way or else you're going to have limited success. So like I, I always watch like in Paul Rabel's like videos and such, and mm-hmm. he's always talking about like the only way to get like good velocity is by like the big wide base. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, to be frank, I would disagree with that um, <laughs> quite simply because um, when people talk about a wide base, if you want to get into details here, they, they tend to term it athletic position, right? They say, okay, kids, get in an athletic position. So, you, okay, so you, you, you widen your stance and you get low. Well, there, uh, biomechanically, there's a ton of problems with that. First off, um, a wide uh, would, would you guys consider like Usain Bolt? Would you call him an athlete? Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right. We'd all call Usain Bolt an athlete. Now, does he sprint with his legs in a wide position? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. Right. Exactly. There's nothing. It, a wide base is a defensive position. It's not an offensive position. The only time I ever see people get in a wide position like that is if they're setting up a split dodge. Sometimes, not all the time or if they're playing defense or goalie, all right? That is a ready position for a defensive position, right? But if you're talking about shooting, you, you, what you want to consider first is moving forward, all right? You're, you're propelling an object, quite simply. You're propelling it forward. So you don't want anything to stop you from going forward. Well, when you take a step as a shooter, you want that step to act like a running stride or a sprinting stride. Therefore, you want the front leg landing under the hip in order to send you forward. So you want to pull with the hamstring of that front leg. You want to pull your body forward. Okay. So if you have a wide step now, a wide stance, now you have to take a step in order to shoot that ball. Now that step is going to be too far in front of you. It's going to stop you. It's going to hit the brakes and it's going to stop you from going forward. All right. And it's going to kick your hips back. And the last thing you want as a shooter or a pitcher 
or a quarterback or any athlete trying to propel an object forward is something stopping you from going forward. All right. And um, that's massively important because we as humans, we're cross crawlers, right bicep triggers or stimulates left um, hip flexor, which is what picks up your knee. Okay. It picks up your leg. That, that's how we walk. We, we cross crawl. We don't walk with our right leg forward and right arm forward. We walk with our left leg forward, right arm forward. Okay. And so when you take a step with your left leg, you have, you're stimulating your right arm to move forward. That's a neurological pattern. That's not a choice. Right. And so when you take that step, that right arm is going to move forward. And if you're wide, if you have too wide of a stance, if you have this wide base, when you're starting, when, when you've already taken that step and that front leg's too far in front of you, your right arm's going to naturally want to continue moving forward. But if you can't pull with that hamstring, now you've stopped any momentum or any neurological trigger to continue that right arm from going forward. All right? And your hips are kicking backwards, and now everything is moving backwards while you're trying to muscle a ball with your arms to continue going forward. And so... You don't want a wide base because it, it drops you. It makes you lower. And we all know speed is distance over time. All right? So if you get shorter, you've decreased your range of motion. Why would you decrease your range of motion as a shooter if you want speed on the ball? Right? right. You want to be tall and you want to have a stance. Like, uh, do you guys remember Ken Griffey Jr.? Yes. Okay. Can you explain his stance to me? Very vertical. Yeah, yeah, very vertical, like straight legs almost even. Yeah, (laughs) straight legs. He's just standing up. That's that's what an athletic position is: standing the way a human is designed to stand, feet under hips, (laughs) normally as if you were talking to me in a conversation, back straight, head up, chest up, all the things you can put a, a line right through your head down to your feet. Right, that's what an athletic position is, not a low position. That's a defensive position. That's where you want to be as a defensive player. All right. Now, if you're dodging, that's a different conversation, okay? But you got to make sure that your feet are landing under your hips when you're sprinting. And so um, that, that's how we look at it. We really take we, – we try to take all the subjectivity out of it and, and go as objective as possible. And, and none of this stuff I made – this is not my creation. This is just the way humans are designed to move, and you just apply it to anything. Um, you watch Tom Brady take a step forward when he's throwing a pass – it's barely he's he's not taking that big of a step at all. He's not low in this massive position. He stands straight up. Of course, he's got un- this unbelievable protection, so he can just stand. There. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and he throws the ball with such ease. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you ever watch like the best players in any sport, like Mikey Powell, the reason why people try to emulate Mikey Powell is because he makes it look easy, mm-hmm. right? But the reason why he makes it look easy is because he moves the way a human is designed to move, right? Mm-hmm. And so looking good is actually massively important. It's not an aesthetic thing. It's massively important because that means you're moving the way you're designed to move. There's no hitches in your shooting stroke. There's no hitches in your running stride. Everything moves smoothly because everything's moving together the way the human body was designed to move. And when you take that into consideration, opinions really start to start to um, start to leave your mind, and you start to see things the way uh, the way humans are designed to move. And so, I know it's a long-winded answer to your question, <laughs> but 
But no, you don't want to be in a low position. And no, you don't want to have too wide of a base because then you're stopping what you're – you're basically defeating yourself before you've even started. And Ken Griffey Jr., who never lifted a weight in his life, crushed balls out of the park as this skinny little guy, you know. But Barry Bonds had to roid up because maybe, I don't know, maybe his batting position wasn't as good, right? Um, But Ken Griffey Jr., that guy was an incredible baseball player, an incredible hitter. But if you look at it, he made it look so flippin' easy. Oh, so easy. So smooth. So just flawed. Yeah. Nobody has a prettier swing than Griffey. Right. And I know it's blasphemy to be talking about baseball on a lacrosse podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You you got to get outside of your world and look at what people do. Tom Brady doesn't sling the ball very far, but he does it well and he does it accurately. And oh yeah, he wins Super Bowls. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's really that it's it's painful and it's hard to do, but it is simple. And so, um, yeah, wide base. I don't think so. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, um, like I'm a big cues guy, so mm-hmm. uh, like my I think the person to me always has like the smoothest passing. That was Dylan Donahue, like watching his form, and you could tell he's a coach's son because like his like yeah. overhand pass was like always like perfect like form passing. But it, you know he was a great feeder, great yeah. shooter, you know, and his his uh, sister's the same way now for Syracuse. But like you can always tell like it was like always like the perfect overhand. Yeah, like it always looked very like easy to do. Like he looked very you know like like it wasn't a big deal just to pass the ball. Like yeah, he's not fast. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, Dylan Donahue is fantastic. I, I love watching him play. So my next question is, do you do camps for adults? I know. I feel like I <laughs> can't play lacrosse at all right now. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Um, do I do camps for adults? Um, well, not. I mean, they're open to adults if you want to come. Um, I'm there. We, we, we I do, would totally I, do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I um we we I do a ton of seminars. Um so teams hire me out to do uh these 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 uh seminars for them. And yeah, so I, I you know, I'll bring in, you know, one of their athletes and we'll do like a whiteboard and and um you know, out in the field coaching session. So I guess I it's more of I guess when I'm dealing with adult, adults it's more of coaching the coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um you know, I've worked with some college players and 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 players at that level but uh no i i can't say i've ever done like a, a group of men's uh, a men's team right kevin, like that, yeah. kevin and i talk about this all the time about how you know once you graduate or or you're out of like college lacrosse there's like nothing out there for you to get better and like we have guys t- ask us all the time about like you know hey i i'm 30 i just picked up lacrosse now what can i do to get better and you know, I'm like, man, I feel like there's such. I mean, maybe there isn't. Maybe that's why there isn't this kind of stuff out there. But I always feel like there's such a a desire for there to be like adult camps and stuff. You know, I don't know. Hey, man, if the market's there, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I've never thought of that myself, to be honest with you. Actually, no. The one time it's come up is someone from Germany called me. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I, can't, I can't remember the name, but apparently, the way they do it, you know, in European countries. 
as well. It's it's uh they're, they're clubs, right? Right. Are you guys familiar with this? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of my friends, like when they they were stationed over there and they played in like local clubs over there. So I have a little bit of knowledge of it. Yeah, yeah. So the way it was explained to me is as kind of like it's it's like being part of a country club or something. Like you. You, you, if you go to play for this club as a kid, you're going to play for that club until you're like 50 yeah, or something, you know? So, and so it's been, it, it they, they've asked me in Germany, I can't, again, I flake on the name, but they're like, oh yeah, do you do adults? And I was like, well, I can. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh yeah, no, we have like 40 year olds and 35 year olds and, and, yeah. um, who would love to go to this camp. I was like, all right. Well, yeah, absolutely. But uh, <laughs> other than that, no, I haven't been asked about that. <laughs> Believe me, if you watch the guys on my team play, you would uh, <laughs> you'd see lots of potential customers right there. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yep. something that I've been working on because I I was the same way. Like I never, I never was a shooter at all. I was I was five two when I was playing high school lacrosse. Like I was never a shooter. I was hundred pounds yeah. soaking wet. Um, I if if I could get it in the direction of the goal, I was doing all right. Um, so <laughs> now that I'm older and, you know, am at least somewhat more filled out, I have really tried to work on a shot, but I, you know, trying to teach myself in a, in the park, how to shoot isn't working. So, um, yep. it's something that I've definitely been working on. Yeah. I mean, I, at the end of the day, really, I mean, I can geek out about mechanics mm-hmm. all, all day. Right. And I, and, and I, and I want to continue down this path. But really, I mean, I didn't know this stuff, you know, in high school, but really the obsession factor is what I think is, I think that's the X factor. Because um, there are a lot of guys out there who have had a ton of success, who don't shoot the ball very well, but they score goals because they've worked their asses off. And, um, and you know, it, it's not like you have to have a perfect shooting stroke. I mean, that's, you know, mm-hmm. it's important and it helped me a ton, but really the obsession factor is that you'll figure it out, right? Um, it, it, as a player, it, 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 if you watch enough and, and, and you get obsessed enough, um, it will come. But uh, but the, yeah, there's always another level to go to. But I just want to make that clear, like you know, even with kids, if they're you know if they're in a location where there's not many resources, um, the obsession factor is what's going to get you over the hump. So since you, since you were kind of talking, we were talking about a few players and stuff like. So mm-hmm. I know you watch you watch a ton of lacrosse now. Still, I, I see your videos all the time of like going through players. You know, so who do you think like right now, like in the MLL and the NCAA, like has like the best shooting form? Um. Well, I guess now that John Grant Jr. is out of the picture, <laughs> um, uh, I I would have to say, uh, you know, as an outside shooter, maybe. Uh, Ryan Brown, I, I like the way he shoots the ball because he can bring it from any location, really. He's a great underhand shooter, great sidearm shooter, a great overhand shooter. Um, he really, and the thing about him, there's a lot of great shooters, but but what he does so well is he gets the ball in and out of his stick. If we're talking about an out, outside shot in particular, he gets the ball in and out of his stick so cleanly and so effectively and with no preceding movements now what's a preceding movement a preceding movement is a movement prior to the move you intend to make right and so a lot of guys have a hitch or a crazy cradle or something going on where they have to prep their shot Mm -hmm. you can ryan brown can catch a ball and with nothing 
release it in the smoothest manner and with no preceding movement. And that is way more important than how hard he shoots the ball. Um, in my eyes, because as a goal, you're, you know, you're looking at a guy and all of a sudden he passes the ball, you move over from pipe to pipe. The quicker that ball's coming at you, the harder it is for you to save. And Ryan Brown spends zero time wasted getting that ball in and out of his stick. And that's massive. Um, other good shooters, I, I like you mentioned, Donahue, I think he's just phenomenal. Um, he's got all the, you know, the tricks of the trade. Uh, Kevin Rice, I think, is – his stroke is a little weird, but, man, he scores goals like crazy. Um, and then, obviously, Lyle Thompson, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're talking to <laughs> right. MLL, I mean, that guy does everything well. Um, <laughs> and then, it, I guess, NCAA, I would have to say, if you want to talk about pure outside shooting, probably that kid um, – Oh, Syracuse kid, uh, Mariano, right? Um, yeah, Nick Mariano. I, is it Nick? Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm actually not probably as versed with names as you guys, so bear with me. <laughs> it's all right. um, but that kid, I mean, he's shooting 38 percent right now, and he slings it. And um, he's primarily a sidearm shooter, from what I can tell. But that that kid really, if you watch him, everything's going forward. Everything everything's in sync. The way he turns his hands over is in sync. Uh, the way he steps is in sync. Everything happens at once, and it looks smooth. And um, and he's not fighting himself. He's allowing his body to do what it can do. And and he's he's got a really clean stroke. And so he's like, I I think he's almost shooting forty percent right now. So he's a great outside shooter. Obviously, Connor Fields I think is far and away the best player in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think without question, I think he's been that. Actually, I think he was that last year as well. That kid, that that guy really, he understands angles. Um, and uh, Cloutier, I know he's having a bit of a down year, but if you watch him, the way he handles the stick is a lot like the Gay Brothers. He he's got minimal movement, no wasted movement, no spinning a stick, none none of that crap. Everything is clean. It's focused and it's efficient as hell. Um, and so when you look at those guys, one thing that they do better than everyone else is they get their stick to the inside of the field. They're not shooting down the alley with their stick to the outside. They're really good, especially like uh, like let's say Donahue, right? If if you were if you were to dodge from the midfield, like let's say he's going down the left alley, by a certain point he brings his stick back to his right hand to shoot, and. Not enough people do that. We as coaches, especially in America, we teach shooting shooting on the run down the alley as a midfielder. And that is probably one of the worst th- mistakes we've made and where box players have absolutely dominated us is that we've taught that. And um, I'm as guilty as anyone. I used to teach that like crazy. Now I don't teach it at all. I say if you're splitting from right to left or left to right, you've got about three or four steps to get that shot off with your outside hand, or you better bring it back to the inside. Um, because um, you guys know who Dave Huntley is? I know the, I know the name, but I don't know he's, why. He, yeah. He's the, the Atlanta Blaze coach now. He, uh-huh. um, he's a Hall of Famer from uh, Hopkins. He was a 79 mid of the year. And we've geeked out about shooting mechanics <laughs> like crazy before. He, him and I are good friends. And, um, and he, he drew up this heat map that was just awesome. And he showed... 
that if you get beyond a certain point, let's say you're dodging down the alley like a midfielder, there's a very short distance you can get that shot off with the outside hand before your shooting percentage drops like 20 or 30%. Wow. And, um, and, and that's one thing that these guys do very well is they, they focus on getting their stick to the inside of the field. And that's, that's derived from box lacrosse. That's why those guys are so good. They're, they're, they're trained to get their stick to the inside of the field because they have no other option. They have to move the goalie in order to free that, that net up. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have to increase your angle. And so, you know, th- those, those are my guys really, the, as I see it now, I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but the way I see it, those are the guys I, I think people should look at Heacock. I think, uh, Colin Heacock from Maryland's a really clean shooter, man, Neil, not one Duke player mentioned. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> have you seen them play? They, they don't shoot very well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't noticed as much. Um, maybe they need to get more box guys. <laughs> they might, they might, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's tradition. You're fighting tradition. Yeah. You know, um, but shooting down the alley, jump shots down the alley, ridiculous. The worst way to shoot. Um, in my opinion, uh, it's, it's, if you look at the stats they, and again, I encourage you to check out, um, I don't know where you can find it, but I know it's on the web somewhere it is, um, Dave Huntley's heat map. He, he has it. I, they did over 10,000 shots and where the shot took place was stick to the inside. What type of shot and like dodging down the alley, the worst shot dodging down the alley, I believe was the jump shot. If you jump when you're shooting down the alley, you lose a ton. A, it's a preceding movement. So you're showing the goalie that you're about to shoot, which is the worst thing. It's the last thing you want to do is show the goalie that you're about to shoot. You want the shot to come out of nowhere. So I think that was number one, maybe number two. And then as you got further down the alley, you know, obviously that was probably number one. But there's this heat map where it shows every type of shot, where it was taken from, what type of shot. And it's amazing how the percentages dropped as you went down the alley or if you're coming around from behind, if you didn't get that stick to the inside. I'll, I'll have to look that up and, and we'll throw it in the show notes if I can find it. Um, that's definitely going to be something cool to see. So I'll definitely try and find it and throw it up in, in the show notes if I can. Oh, yeah, do it. it, it Dave Huntley's the man when it comes <laughs> to this. Stuff. He's really, really good. All right. Uh, let, let's get into the lightning round here. Uh, Kevin, go ahead and start it off. All right. So, uh, again, th- these are not most of them are not really lacrosse related. So uh, <laughs> oh, that's fine. Would, would you rather fly or teleport? Uh, fly. I don't want to go into the future. <laughs> I'd rather fly. I'm I'm sick of Southwest. <laughs> uh, favorite thing to do outside of lacrosse? Um, favorite thing to do outside of lacrosse. I like paddle boarding, though I haven't been able to do that a whole lot. Um, I'm actually a bit of a geek, even though I'm not a tech guy. I love tech. Yeah. I love I I love learning about you know, new web applications and things like that. Um, you know, I live in Austin, so we're kind of like in the mini tech capital of the world. So I spend a lot of time with, uh, you know, uh, I guess other entrepreneurs, um, I guess in the tech world, mm-hmm. my business partner is, is a, uh, app, uh, app developer. And, um, we spend a lot of time with, with, you know, I, I just, <laughs> I just, it's funny. Last night I was just at a WordPress conference <laughs> for, for no other reason other than my curiosity. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just kind of like that stuff, but I'm definitely not natural at it. Right. So I know my strengths. I stay in the sports world, you know, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely an armchair 
uh, curiosity of mine. Nice. All right. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Um, oh God, probably Gladiator. Nice. Uh, yeah, Gladiator. I really like Thank You for Smoking. Oh, Have you guys seen? Yeah, with Aaron Eckhart. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I really, I love Thank You for Smoking. Um, I, yeah, I have a little bit of the devil in me, so I, I like a um, antagonist. You know. <laughs> yeah, maybe those two. I'm sure there's others I haven't thought of, but yeah. <laughs> All right, if you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Um, Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader. I would love, I would love to meet Ralph Nader. I'm a big fan of his. Um, uh, Elon Musk would be one of them. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to meet Elon Musk. Um, Johnny Ive, the designer for Apple. Uh-huh. Uh, but I know it's a sports podcast, but there's no athletes I really care to meet. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine. What's your all-time favorite lacrosse day? You know, this is probably why I'm ne- I'll never be and never wanted to be or ever could be a head coach. Um, is because I'm so focused on the individual. But I'd probably make my whole team use the warp. <laughs> Only yeah. if you're a warrior school. Only if I'm a warrior school. That's a good point. Well, I That's make true. this a warrior school. Ooh. Uh, uh. <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, but um, I don't know. You know, maybe the Excalibur. I, I think I think um, the old Excalibur was pretty awesome. I, uh, You know, the edge changed the game for the better, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't see as much consistent passing as, I, as, you know, before offset heads came out. I think if you watch a game in the, you know, late, mid-90s, 80s, I, you know, better athletes are playing, and, and the level is without question higher. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's undoubtedly the case. But um, I think if you go back and watch some of the older games, I think the passes are a bit con- more consistent. And um, I think that's partly because of the offset head, but I, I could be wrong. You know, maybe the stringing where these kids can't lose the ball out of their stick. You know? <laughs> that might be another problem, too. But I think the offset head kind of did that. But I think we can recover from it without question. I mean, there are definitely kids out there who can just sling passes right to your stick without without any problem. So yeah. um, that's not the only problem. But maybe Excalibur just because it was the first cool one I ever knew. Saw Roy <laughs> Cole's Eve. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were when you were a kid? You know, I wasn't very good at foresight as a kid. <laughs> I didn't really know what existed after college lacrosse. <laughs> <laughs> like, job? What do you do at a job? <laughs> um, you know, so um, I, I think I really just wanted to play at a high level. Um, you know, I, I, you, the, the other thing actually that I actually pursued for a little while was blacksmithing, artisan blacksmithing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, Obviously, I didn't have that big of a passion for it, or else I would have stuck with it. But, uh, <laughs> right. but uh, I really, I, I, I was always like kind of more of the artistic type. So I really enjoy. I, I love design. I, I, I loved working with artists on that level, and you know, bending metal and that kind of stuff was just really cool to me. And so I did that uh, for a little while, and um, not enough money in the forge was really, really hot. <laughs> so. <laughs> I pursued it, I, I, uh, but then, you know, I, I went back to what I was, I guess, better at naturally and had a, maybe a little bit of an upper, upper hand in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's probably the so. most unique answer we've ever had on that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I did that and a little bit of silversmithing. It was cool, man. It, wow. You know, that kind of stuff is really awesome. Yeah. Um, 
But, um, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I just kind of went, once I got that stick in my hands, that's just kind of really what I wanted to do. Hmm. I got different goals now. Maybe we should have asked what you want to be when you grow up. Yeah, what do I want to be when I grow up? That's probably a better question because if you ask my girlfriend, I'm still very, very young. Um, so me, what do I want to be now? I, you know, I, 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 I really love designing and making products, but I really, our goal is to really go into multiple sports mm-hmm. um, and to have a multi-sport company. Um, for example, our throttle does better with quarterbacks than it does in the lacrosse industry. Um, oh. you know, partly because, um, you know, because the way you throw a lacrosse ball, I mean, it's all the same stuff. Right. And, and, you know, I was training a kid one time and this quarterback, you know, I live in Texas, so obviously football is king here. Right. And a quarterback coach was walking by one of my sessions and he, he came up to me. He's like, I, that thing can be used for quarterbacks. And he goes, I don't think you realize how big of a market you're missing out on. <laughs> and so yeah. I was like. That's a good point. And, you know, <laughs> University of Texas is using our throttle for their quarterbacks. Um, oh. We're in conversations right now with the, uh, the Carolina Panthers. Um, oh, yeah. The NFL. Yeah. So, um, so uh, it's, it's definitely a multi-use tool. And uh, that kind of got my mind going about being in multiple sports. Uh, probably because I'm more obsessed with human movement than I am actually about lacrosse. Uh, I, I really like seeing, you know, humans move at their full potential. And I've worked with some of the best people in the world at this Evo ultra fit out of Arizona is one of them. Um, these guys are, they're neurological trainers. Um, I, I need to give them a plug because they're, they're the main reason why I know half the crap I know. (laughs) know? They've really been unbelievable and instrumental in educating me and helping me kind of get to the level I'm at where with, with shooting and just basically training a, on a whole. And, um, I just love the whole athlete experience. You know, I would really like to turn it, uh, into, you know, a, a really all encompassing sports program where we're actually an agency as well. Uh, that's a long shot. Who knows? You know, that's a dream shot goal, but if you're going to ask the question, I might as well answer <laughs> yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where I'd like to be someday making products, running training camps and, and running an agency, I think would be awesome. Uh, you know, that's probably 15, 20 years down the road before something like that really uh, pop, uh, formulates, but yeah, something like that. That's pretty All cool. Right. Yeah. So if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? All right. So there's this restaurant in Austin cause Austin's an unbelievable food place. I, lo- I love called- Austin. Have you been? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, we've. I used. Well, I was stationed in Mississippi, and so we would go to Austin somewhat frequently. I have some really good friends that live in Austin, and we would go there. I love Austin. We. Yeah. It's it's the one place in Texas that I just really truly love being in. So. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, I like I like Dallas. I cannot Dallas stand. Dallas okay. Yeah. Houston, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Dallas is okay. Yeah. Um. And San Antonio is fine, but Austin does it for me. Yeah. Uh, so I'd have to say, God, right now, you know, I didn't even know what brisket was until I moved here about five years ago. Uh, so brisket is, is, you know, good Texas barbecue brisket really hits it for me. Um, there's this place called um, the Salty Sow where they serve this bone marrow. Yeah, that um, sounds weird. <laughs> bone marrow. You, you, you have to try good bone marrow so 
Yeah, man. Blacksmithing and bone marrow. What can I say? <laughs> Great answers. <laughs> All right, so yeah. so you're in Austin, obviously Austin City Limits. You gonna you guys got a great music scene. What's your favorite mm-hmm. musician right now? I really don't care about music at all. <laughs> Best answer we've ever had. <laughs> I I I hate going to concerts. Um, I, well, no, that's not true. I like going to some. I just can't stand going to South by Southwest because yeah. you are standing there for hours yep. and. Um, so I don't know. My favorite musician, probably Jimi Hendrix. Um, you know, he's dead, long gone. So favorite living musician, maybe uh, Tim Reynolds. Uh, nice. The guy, you know who that is? The guy who plays. Uh, he goes with Dave Matthews all the time. Yeah, he goes with Dave Matthews sometimes, right? But yeah. if you ever hear his his solo stuff, just him without Dave Matthews, his um. His albums, I'm sure they don't make. I'm sure he hasn't sold that many, to be honest with you. But um, uh, his his just his solo albums, just him, just are really really good. Uh, he's an unbelievable guitarist. I don't think I've ever heard him say anything. But uh, <laughs> so I, that if if you were, if you were playing like down the road, I'd drop everything and go watch him in a heartbeat. Actually, this is probably the weirdest question I've ever asked anyone. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm not sorry, sure how I. Has- answer i'm sure <laughs> what is your go-to deodorant scent <laughs> uh i use old spice um old spice i don't know what the scent is to be honest with you. i think it's just original i think it's original original old spice <laughs> yeah just the whatever old the spice the old spice yeah the, the, <laughs> not the not the uh the dry stuff, the stuff that leaves flakes under your armpits. That's what I like. I don't like the, I don't like the liquidy like stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's just weird. Yeah. yeah. Those for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll end the, the lightning round with the same question we ask everybody. Uh, what's the next school to go division one? Do you think? Oh, geez. <laughs> Does Marquette count anymore? Uh, no, they're, they're, they, hey, they're biggest champions right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say Marquette. I mean, maybe Michigan. I mean, Michigan should be so far ahead of where they are right now. So, um, obviously they're making some changes over there. Um, I think Michigan is, is, uh, I, I think they're, they're going to be massively dominant in a, in a handful of years. Um, you know, so so you're okay. So I'm sorry. The question was what again? What's uh, the, what's no? What's the next school to go D1? Oh oh God! I'm so sorry. I told you. <laughs> what's, the, what's the next school to go D1? Yeah. I wish it was UT, University of Texas, but it's not going to be. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. They need to. Yeah. Florida State needs to go D1. Yep. Um, State. The next one, well, I think the University of Utah definitely is the next one to go D one. Yeah, it definitely sounds like yep. they're I, lining up. I think the, they are too. Up. Oh yeah, I mean the Holmans are over there. The, you know, he he doesn't leave UNC right without either. They're just paying him absurd amounts of money, yeah. and he's just going to be a club coach. Or I think they're going D one. So yeah, yeah, you know, a uh, uh, logical answer I think is the University of Utah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost sort of a, a cheat question at this point. It, it used to be a lot better of a question, but it definitely <laughs> right. seems like Utah is going to be, uh, yeah, going there in the not too distant future. I think so too. 
But uh-huh. if you're to flip the question and say like, who's the next up and coming D1 program? Um, I would probably say like a Michigan or um, obviously you got Richmond in the mix, but like, um, you know, it, it, not, not as a little caveat. I mean, that's why I love so much about what's going on right now. I love the parody, mm-hmm. but because like when I was growing up, you know, if you didn't go to the, one of the top 10 programs, division one, just the shelf, just, you know, the floor fell right, right out from under your feet playing wise. Right. Like you always knew who was going to the tournament. You always knew almost who was going to the final four. Um, I remember if you're getting recruited by Syracuse, you were basically guaranteed a ring. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it actually, it used to, I feel like it used to be all the teams that had orange in their colors. Like it was Princeton, Virginia, Syracuse. Absolutely. It was ridiculous. And now, you know, kids, uh, uh, they, they think, um, they, they still think that way a little bit, but, but I'm, I'm starting to see the tables turn, which I absolutely love. Um, you know, you can go to Marquette and compete massively and compete for a title. You can, you know, you can go to Ohio state and play at the highest level. I, I, I think it's, I think it's awesome, especially with all this recruiting going on, you know, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you know, now, I, did you guys so they passed that rule right yeah yes yep um which won't do a thing uh but um in my opinion i think it's going to get even more aggressive but um it, it when i was talking to lars tiffany he said the guys that voted against the rule were the second tier d1 second and third tier d1 programs because they were getting all the leftovers yeah right who ended right. up panning out to be better than the early commits right Mm-hmm. Well, not in all cases, but in, in a lot of cases, you know, right. simply because the top programs are just doing it wrong. You know, it's like picking stocks. If you, it, you know, it's so hard to predict whether a company is going to be successful or not. And so, um, same thing with a, you know, a kid, you know, how do you know that eighth grader is going to be that good? I don't know, <laughs> you know? And so if you can, if you can delay the process and, in, and enhance the maturing process of these athletes, you know, these 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 random programs. Was it Richmond their first year? Didn't they beat Virginia? Their first year as a D one program. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Or they've they made the they've made the tournament a couple times now too. Yeah, I mean that's that's awesome. And I know we completely went off your question, but <laughs> <laughs> that's another that's another topic I get real sore about is the recruiting stuff. I think I think. Uh, <laughs> I think it's going to actually bring back the whole uh, like camp things. Now more kids are going to go to like different, like to be seen, like go to like mm-hmm. the Maryland camp or the Towson camp. It's going to bring that whole thing back. Like, like it used to be like when I was a kid. Yeah, it might, you know, it's um, to me, you know, these club teams there are a lot of great ones and there are a lot of horrible ones. Um, you know, I, I think camp or not, um, I think uh, I, I think if the recruiting gets pushed up or back or whatever terminology you want to use to later, you know, to older kids, if that happens, and I think it should happen just by default because a lot of these guys are just doing it wrong and they're not, you know, you know, they they need to wait to see how these kids mature, right? But I think it, like you're talking about, I think it could push the camps back, right? And a lot of these kids who commit in I don't know eighth freaking grade, right? Um, the problem with that is they think they're already good enough yeah. and they don't spend enough time improving, 
and maybe not all kids, obviously, but a lot, you know, they, they might not realize that the coach is banking on them getting to that point. They're predicting that they're going to get to the level where they can play for them versus they're good enough now. And so a lot of athletes stop improving and stop going to camps and stop getting better. Right. And they just play for competing teams, um, you know, to go win club championships or something like that, which has, which definitely has its value. Uh, but, um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot, a lot of club programs that don't do a whole lot. I've seen a lot of pro- club programs that do do a lot, you know, individually developing kids on an individual level. And I, and we work with a lot of programs, you know, we, they bring us in privately and, and we work with them privately. But I think, um, I think the focus needs to be geared more towards individual development and kind of leave the focus of winning championships to their high school, you know, and, and I don't know, maybe you guys think differently, but my opinion is who cares if you win a club tournament? Really? <laughs> yeah. Like well, most of those are just painful to watch anyways. It's like watching a bunch of ball hogs. Like, you yeah. know, they, they know these coaches are here to see them. So they don't pass the ball. Right. I, so, I mean, it, it's, it's just painful to watch as like a spectator, you know, if you just go watch, like I, you know, I live in Maryland, so there's tons of like recruiting things all around me. And it's like, if you go watch, like go to the field just to watch and it's like, Oh, this kid's never passing the ball. And this kid's not going to pass the ball. It's like, right. Def- definitely not entertaining to watch. So, right. And, and, and I guess the biggest rub I have it, with it is that it, it, it's a pay to play structure, which it should be. These are businesses and I am a capitalist through and through. And so I think <laughs> if, if you do a good job and you provide a great service, you should win out. You should, you know, you should be having success as a company and you should be making money. The, the problem for me is the not playing the kids when their parents are paying a ton of money to be on your club, right? Now, when you're in school and you're playing high school lacrosse, you need to learn those lessons. Like, okay, you're not good enough. You need to ride, ride the pines. But if you're going to pay a lot, to re- okay, correct, tell me if you, if you disagree with me. But when you – the reason why I, – I think the initial reason why you play for a club team, in my eyes, at least the way I see it, is, is to get exposure, right Mm -hmm. okay you know they market it that way like okay we're a club team we go to these tournaments where bill tyranny where you know all these great coaches are at and you're going to be seen right the problem i have is when you convince someone to be on that club team and then you don't play them because you want to win these games right so the kid's paying five grand or four grand to be on your club team and then they're not getting any playing time right but you, you you know as a club you're preaching this exposure idea that's where you're selling exposure right and um i i, I really think it and this is why i don't run, run club teams because i want nothing to do with this industry um <laughs> you know and i don't think it's bad by any stretch of the imagination i love working with them we work with club teams all the time but i just think there are a handful that they sell an idea but if you're not good enough you don't get on the field i think if you're going to be paying that amount of money to play for a club team i think you should get on the field and get exposure. And if you're not, don't play for the club team and go to these at large events. Like go to, you know, Nike Blue Chip if you can get in. Or right. go to um go to some of these other things where you're not on a team and, and you're playing as an individual because they're gonna play you. Because the coaches that are coaching you, they have no stock in, in their team winning. They're just part of the camp, right? And so they 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 are they are mandated to get every kid as much playing time as possible. That's why top two oh five was so great. 
You know, um, if you went to top 205, you're going to play. And at least you had your opportunity to show yourself. And uh, we have a little solution we're working on right now. I can't, I can't, I can't expose it yet, uh, <laughs> but um, I'm really psyched to launch it. Um, coming up relatively soon, Dave Huntley and I are working on it. But the, the equality of it all is really important to me. Um, if you're going to talk about recruiting, I think if, if, if you're going to pay that type of money to be a part of something or, or hope to get it recruited, you should at least get the opportunity. And winning a club tournament trophy, to me, means nothing. Winning a high school championship is important. You know, it has tradition and all that stuff. And, a school, and of course, at the college level, right? But um, that's the way I see it, at least. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, you know, if, with the club thing, you might as like like you said, it, it costs so much money for parents. Yeah. To, go, to have your kid just sit on the sidelines is ridiculous. It's absurd. Yeah, I, I totally, I don't agree with that at all. And that's, I guess, why we started our camps. It's like, well... I know camps aren't exactly the most popular thing right now, but we want every kid getting as much value as possible. And if you don't feel like you're getting it, let us know and we'll adjust, you know? So I know you guys have seen the new Surgeon 700 by STX. You can pre-order it now from Universal Across. It'll ship to you on May 15th when it releases. Just go to laxnerds.com, click the link, and show your support for the podcast. All right, that's all we have for you guys this week. A big thanks to Ryan for coming on the show today. We really enjoyed getting to talk to him. As you can tell, he really knows what he's talking about, and we definitely learned a few things from him. Hopefully you guys did as well. Be sure to check out dyglacrosse.com for more information on camps, clinics, and products to help improve your game. And also give them a follow on social media. All of their social media accounts are at dyglacrosse. Um, and especially check out the DYG YouTube channel. They have some incredible content up there that will really help you guys get better. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, be sure to check out the show notes at laxnerds.com to find links to everything we discussed on the show today, as well as a coupon to get you 10% off a of Sisu mouthguard. Thanks for listening to the Lax Nerds podcast, and have a great day. Right, see you guys next week. Same Lax time, same Lax channel.